Welcome to the Future of Tourism podcast. I'm David Peacock. Stop owning your own content. Young leaders are stepping up. Bring everyone to the table. And imagine their world anew. We're barely two years into sustainability as a mainstream discussion, and already it's not enough. There's a general consensus that destination organizations must focus on regenerative tourism, tourism that actually leaves a place better than the traveler or visitor found it. There have only been a few successful regenerative tourism initiatives around the world, but one stands out for me, and it's the Bay of Plenty in New Zealand. As CEO of tourism for the Bay of Plenty, Kristen Dunn has the lived experience of working closely with her community to build a regenerative strategy and implementation for the better part of half a decade. Good morning, Kristen. How are you? Where are you? What's it like? Morena, David. I'm in the beautiful Bay of Plenty, which is on the northeast coast of the New Zealand's North Island. And it's a beautiful sunny day here today. Um, but boy, it's been a mixed bag with the weather. And um, just I think that's making climate change feel very real this year. Yeah, well, as we roll into fall, which I guess is your spring, we're we're seeing, you know, some great weather as well, but some highly, highly variable and dangerous weather. So if anybody needs a reminder, there it is. Yeah, absolutely. We've got an unseasonable snow at the moment and um, and then they're forecasting incredible heat for the summer. So definitely a mixed bag. Well, and if you follow the Almanac and the Canadian Science Table, they're predicting a a, quote, odd winter here. Yeah. How about that? So listen, you've been, go- you've been gone for a few months. We haven't talked. What have you been doing? Well, we've had a baby. So a beautiful baby girl, Maeve, who's now eight months old. And it's just been a real pleasure to spend time with her and my other son, Kaylin, who's nine, and be a full-time mum for a while. But back at work now, and um, lovely to be back speaking with you. Well, totally glad to have you back. So much has happened um, in in... I guess 24 to 28 months. I mean, you you really just, you left sort of partway into this. The world has substantially changed. I'm so happy to see that in, in essence, COVID actually moved the sustainability uh, question forward, put it front and center. But in the middle of all that, um, it became apparent from, you know, all the work and research going on, that's not enough. It's about regenerative tourism, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, it's wonderful to see the conversation happening so profoundly and so openly globally. And I think the worldview, the mind shift that needed to happen, happened so much faster because of COVID. And so there's a massive opportunity there. But I agree, um, regenerative adds that those layers to sustainability that are really well, important to the community um, as well as to visitors. Well, and that's where you and I first met is on the community piece. You were working with, uh, I think, Frank Kuipers. And really admire this. I'm, you know, I think well ahead of the curve, uh, you were saying, and Frank was saying, um, you know, sorry, was, was, was um, championing this idea. Lots of people were talking about, but championing the idea that tourism serves residents first or else it, it shouldn't be. I mean, if, if it doesn't enrich the lives of citizens, you have to look long and hard at why. And the only way you can enrich their lives is if there's legacy value. And that really means regeneration, doesn't it? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um totally converted to that to that thinking and and I've seen it in action now so it's really wonderful to see that it does actually work and community can 
be part of tourism um, and also tourism can be a force for good. So yeah, it's, it's really exciting to know that, to deeply know that and to be able to now apply that thinking to other, other places. Well, it's interesting too, because when you, when you, uh, as w when Bay of Plenty gravitated towards sustainable, uh, sorry, regenerative tourism plan, isn't it interesting? It was, that was the front and center focus. I, I call it the shiny thing, the bobble, the, the thing that gets people really excited and in a room. Now we're seeing a lot of other destinations embracing it. It's going to be part of other and different implementations, how you get to regeneration, how you build the networks and the partnerships. It's, it's, it's not always going to be based on a regenerative master plan. It looks like it's going to be layered in with other plans, which, which makes a lot of sense given the structure of this industry. Um, but I want to come back though, and I really want to talk to you about the lived experience because regenerative tourism, sustainable tourism, you know, it sounds like a truism, but it's not to be taken lightly. And, and it's, it's a lot of work, a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Can you give us a precis of Bay of Plenty from, from the time you're standing on the horizon thinking, what do we do next? And right, you know, keep it, keep it fun and fast, but tell us, tell us what it was like. Oh, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> um, it, I had a deep knowing that this was where we needed to go. And it felt right. It was right for our Indigenous people, which is obviously incredibly important. It was right for our community. It was right for our visitors. And it was right for us as an organisation to switch up our value and purpose. So there was this great synthesis that was just like, tick, 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 tick. You know, this is absolutely... What, what year was that? What year was that? 2018. 2018. You've been the CEO at that point for how long? Uh, two years. Two years, okay, and this, and you were brought in under a mandate of what would the change be, and how would you manage it? I take it. I was already within the organisation and the, as the head of marketing. Got it. So I applied for and was successful to get the chief executive role. And yes, we had a lot of work to do because we were irrelevant basically, and we had no strategy, we had no story, and we just weren't, frankly, very successful. But at the same time, the the place around you was remarkable and marvelous, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And much loved by New Zealanders and by, by the community, the residents. So what you, what you do next sounds so sensible to me. You, you harness that love and attention and uh, commitment, but reducing it to a sentence doesn't even begin to explain what happens really and how hard it is to literally from the beginning beat the street to build a new network who, who cares about something new, right? Right, and it is absolutely beating the street. Every community group that you can get to go in front of, it took well over 12 months um, to go out there and just tell a different story and to have the community go, hmm, actually that's important to me. Your organisation would have purpose for me and I would be happy to fund it through my rates if that was what you were helping to do, which is to love the place, protect it for now and for future generations and, and make sure that it's protected and not, not destroyed into the future. So was, was, that, was that literally the core of your narrative that you hit the street with? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Did some people look at you like you were hippie? <laughs> yeah, well, because sustainability at that time just, you know, meant green environmental stuff. And of course, sure. we've come to appreciate much more about social and cultural and environmental as well as economic. So, yes, a lot of people looked at me like I was crazy and possibly still do. And I think that's one of... <laughs> One of my key lessons is that when your own mind shifts, you kind of think other people's have shifted as well. Right. And they might be nodding and agreeing with you, but they haven't actually gone through that fundamental shift yet. 
So <clears throat> I think the mind shift is one thing, but I totally underestimated all the other shifts that we needed to make as an organization and also how to keep growing that coalition of, of support and help those mind shifts happen in those people too. And that was really a continuous dialogue. So let me ask you this. I got to take a sidebar on this one because it's so important and it's it's been a lived experience for so many people I know recently, myself included. The shift you talk about, that shift when you understand that the single greatest cause we have is regeneration and sustainability and that actually anything we do fits into it. So it doesn't matter, you know, where you work or what you do. There's, there's, there's things we can do. Had you had that personal shift before you started developing the program? I, do you know what? I had it on the very last night of our plan that we had written together with Destination Think at the time. I had it that very night. And no the, the plan that we had written was very based in sustainability. And I was reflecting back on all the community conversations that we'd had. And as you said, it just wasn't enough. The love of mm -hmm. our place was mm -hmm. too great. The wisdom of our Indigenous leaders was too rich to just leave it at that. So I went back to the team and I said, no, we need to push this harder. And it wow. did really feel like it was just something that, that got me that night, and then I, I couldn't change it from there. <laughs> okay, so so that moment then, you have the moment when you you, you sort of you sort of jump in the deep end, as I call it. I, I've sort of had that same feeling in the last 12 months, to say the least. It's immediately followed by, in my opinion, three months of darkness when you, when you accepted that this is the most important thing you must do, but you're looking at it going, oh, come on, it, my intelligence still tells me it's impossible, and you get really dark, and then somehow you pop out the far side. Did that happen to you? I didn't have the darkness bit up front because I was just so optimistic, and again, it just seemed so logical and right to me that how could anyone disagree with it? Like, of course, um, but I underestimated it in many, many things, and the first one was really taking our team on that same journey and having them have the confidence to back this thing because we were really zag we were zagging away from the way every other RTO in the you, country was you, doing. You were so far from mainstream. It's it's you know it's totally appropriate that you were dropped in a little island in the South Seas. You were very far from the mainstream. <laughs> very far, and so our whole team needed to get on board with that, and that took that took some time for them to have that confidence and then to be really like, yeah, this is this is what. This is where we need to go. That must be remarkable today in the sense that, you know, at the time it was a complete flyer. I mean, you, you're one of the first, you know, I, I liken it to the, you know, the, the all clarity of Copenhagen saying the end of tourism as we know it. Like, boom, what's going on? Um, that team today must look back and realize as everybody moves towards that mainstream, wow, they were, they were almost five years ahead of that curve. Yeah, and Copenhagen were a wonderful inspiration to us, actually, and, and Flanders um, and others who were in that sort of, you know, real first mover space. Yeah, and I think it's just one of the many mind sh the many shifts we had to make. So there was the mind shift shift, mm -hmm. and then there was the, the culture shift within our organisation. There was a shift in purpose. Who were we? What, what, what did we do now? What didn't we do now? And there were a lot of conversations, you know, picking things up and going, ooh. Do we still do this? I don't know. Um, and come on, come on. Name names. What kind of things did you stop doing? Oh, we questioned everything, I think. You know, how 
just how we approached everything changed. I, I, well, I'll, here's, I'll, here's, a, here's my first observation. Looking at what you accomplished, a sizable portion of your budget went to something other than buying media. Oh, 100%. And our whole media strategy changed, and I can talk about that too. But So we had to get additional funding, and I think that's an important point. If you're trying to do this with, a, with an existing budget, it's very difficult. So we, we worked so hard to get additional funding, and that enabled us to have and conversations. So we didn't mm -hmm. stop doing the things that people expected us to be doing. We might have done them differently. But we had this extra layer of stuff that we started to do, which was in this future regenerative space. And enabled okay, us that's, to that's, really, that's really important to this situation right now where most DMOs yeah. find themselves is they can't simply abandon what they've been doing, but they need to take this on. So I think there's, there's, there's really some good wisdom in here. I'll, I'll, I'll let you keep going, but I just want to underline that. Go on. Yeah, so it's an and, not a or conversation. And you have to be very bifocal or maybe trifocal, you know. Um, so keep your eye on today and, and what's needed by the industry. And, you know, especially at the moment post-COVID, the industry is so struggling and it's very difficult to have conversations with them about the future when they're just trying to keep the lights on and keep going. So they need the support of the DMO to ensure sustainable growth again. You know, economic mm -hmm. growth is an important part mm -hmm. of this. Um, but then you need to be also looking out much further so in, into this and um, the extra layers of destination management and mm -hmm. also especially if you're going to have a regenerative lens on it and you know it's, it's wonderful when you're thinking about a place and protecting it for future generations that gives you such a bigger time span to be thinking of so i think one of the challenges for a team who's going through this change process is to be thinking here and now, next 12 months, and then much, much further out. Okay, how much is much further? Say it. Oh, gosh. If you, um, our Maori uh, elders would tell us 500 years. Wow, yeah. I mean, and our, our Indigenous peers here in Canada tell us seven generations front and back, for sure, to, to the very least. Interesting, interesting how mystical and ethereal that seemed four years ago and how how incredibly intelligent and thoughtful it seems today right and i really give all credit to our maori people who i was able to listen to because they they explained to me what protection of place and people was long before i found the term regeneration wow. so i found regeneration almost as a western explanation for mm -hmm. this very wise um innate wisdom that i think all indigenous people have so if you can go to source within your country and you can go and talk to your first people then that you will understand regeneration better than anything you'll ever read can i ask you this um that initial uh movement towards first people and tourism it's very awkward here in canada right now we're in the middle of the throes of, of a reconciliation that is in name only at this point and i don't mean to cast aspersions on anybody's effort but that's the truth was that immediately receptive was it hard to make you know that connection to begin with how does that work yeah so i was at a conference and one of the politicians actually said that cultural tourism in New Zealand should not be a value-added thing. It shouldn't be something that's done on the side. It is our tourism proposition. And I thought, well, it was a light bulb moment. I was like, yeah, that is oh. so true. Why is it on the side in, in my place? In my place, why is it on the side? Why do we not see these cultural experiences? And so we hired a wonderful, wonderful person, Simon Phillips. And he came and he 
he helped build those relationships. He opened the doors for us and he built the relationships and he built trust. And it took time. It took time for us to become a trusted, hmm. um, I guess, organization. And then, you know, hopefully eventually a partner. And we got to share what value could tourism add to our iwi, to our hapu in the Bay of Plenty? How could we can work you, can, together to build can you that tell us? Can you tell us what iwi and hapu is, please? Oh, yeah, sure. So basically um, tribe and, and, and family far now. So um, uh, uh, iwi is made up of many hapu, yeah. many family groupings, and then hapu is, is the smaller kind of, I guess, you know, part of that. All right, equally so important. All equally important, yes. The, 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 if the pebbles go away, the foundation crumbles, right? There it is. Okay, so in there, knowing that we're in, in the midst of a very rapid adoption of um, sustainability as a imperative, all sorts of activity going on, um, lots of great people out there doing great work, um, lots of other work that's not as great in greenwashing, but knowing now that it's, you know, there will be places that take regeneration as their core theme of their of their destination master plan. Then there'll be other places that are far more practical and work it in. What do you want to share with people? And and let's let's put your hat on. You've been an international tourism uh, destination development consultant in a number under a number of auspices, including miles. What would you share with um, destination organizations right now as they make that transition um, everywhere in the world from from urban and, and central places like Australian and, and American big cities right through to some of the uh, more pristine and, and preservable or pre- unpreservable, who knows, destinations. What would you share? So probably three key things. Um, one is it has to be authentic and genuine. Don't do this to be competitive. Mm-hmm. And competitiveness in, in tourism is really a nonsense. And uh, we should be open source each place has a, a value and a benefit and a, a set of values and a community that is rich and, and differentiated from each other. So we really don't need to compete if we are, if we understand who we are as a place and who our people are and we're genuinely projecting that into the world. So that's the first thing. Have to have really genuine intent and love for your place and the community and wanting to see that protected for future generations. And then the other two things that I think are quite powerful as the type of leader that you need to be. And there's sort of a set of, of values, I guess, around that and the leadership that you need to create within your place and following the same themes. And then all these shifts that you need to make once your mind has shifted, there's a lot, a lot of others. So I can could I think I can define those, but I think going into it, it's really important for governors, you know, boards, councils, the leadership team to understand this is not a shift in name only. This is not just something you can write on a page. You have to be prepared to fundamentally shift everything about your organization and what you do. When you looked at organization pre-plan and post-plan, just articulate. I mean, you've already talked about it. It's a mind shift. But what is what is the mind shift? I think that's the shift of going, hang on, stop. Everything we're doing here needs to be different. What that difference looks like is is hard to, to predict. But now when I when I kind of look back, long cast back, I saw that we shifted everything. So mm-hmm. we shifted our role and purpose as an organization. We shifted our organizational culture. We shifted our power. 
it wasn't about us as a DMR. You know, like uh, we had this conversation. Perfect. The world is turning, you know, like we're not making it turn. Um, so shift of power from us as an organization into the community and into the industry. Um, and then I guess it's a shift in um, organizational structure. Mm-hmm. You know, we put resources into different places. We had different roles. We hired new roles, you know, destination developers, researchers. Um, we had um, partnership manager. We just had an Did, importance on a whole different range of skill sets as well I, as what I, we did before. I imagine your well, and as well as what you did before, which was great content. But I mean, imagine your role as a curator versus a progenitor of of content became really important, right? hundred percent. And we talked in the last podcast about the passion groups that we started within the community and the industry and all power to them. They've just done incredible work and they've become this um, self-fulfilling, self-energizing group of people who uh, have a real passion for that area of our DNA and they're making it, they're regenerating it for the future. And it's a wonderful thing, wonderful thing to see in action. Well, and I'm I'm loving the development of models. I, you know, I, 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 we talk about the Bay of Plenty all the time, but we also talk about lots of other examples around the world that are happening in pockets of great stuff. And on that front, I'm going to say to you, you know, you've you've been able to scan for a number of years. What else do you see going on that you're really enamored with that 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 you uh, can point other people to? Say, hey, if you want to read about some great stuff, or if you want to think about people who are doing great work, what what would come to mind? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'm I'm loving Slovenia. Um, Flanders, uh, Vancouver Island, and the whole social enterprise piece. Nice. I'm wanting to get there. Um, I think the Netherlands is doing great work. Scotland is doing great work. Um, Glasgow within that. Um, Travel Oregon, and you know others in that space. Um, there's a really interesting project on in Tasmania called Flinders mm-hmm. Island. And they've been doing some very deep regenerative work there. So there is these pockets of awesome. What, what's interesting about what's interesting about Tasmania? Tell me a little more. Um, it's an island off. Oh, I, know, I know what I know what it is. No, what's what's interesting about the project? Oh yeah, well, so this is an island off Tasmania. So it's an island off an island, and no um, very very you know traditional authentic community. And to be able to have a conversation there about what tourism looks like has had. The, the people running that project have literally moved onto the island. Really? And they've had to become accepted, not just as a consultant, but as a, as a local, so that wow. they can say that they truly understand what it is to live there and to protect it. Wow. Yeah, very well, deep that's... conversations before they're able to get into action. And um, I, think that's, I think that's the thing. And I know that uh, my good friend Anna Pollock struggles with this sometimes as an industry we try and we try and make a plan you know we try and put it in boxes and we try and put targets against it and regenerative is so much more self-organizing than that and the role of the dmo is to to spark the thinking and to 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 be the catalyst to bring people together and and to be the catalyst for things not to be the controller of it and i think that's a really important point well, and, and then back to the context of practicality. You're an early adopter in this field and working in the same edge of that that um, um, 
quilt, so to speak, uh, for a number of years as well. As we move the main from the mainstream into regeneration and um, sustainability is a first step, even. Yeah, I think you pointed out very well at the beginning of this. You didn't, as much as you changed everything in five years at BOP, at first you also preserved a bunch of infrastructure you had because there were expectations. That's the kind of rollout we're going to see in most destinations. They have intact structures and partners, and they're going to shift, and they're going to turn. Some of them are going to have the luxury of a, a place that says, no, no, we want net new. And I, I'm getting to work with a couple of those in Canada right now who are out of the pandemic, into new ownership models, and starting to talk about net new. That's really fun. Um, but the practical approach works. My underlining point would be, you can't build a network of stakeholders fast enough to help you. The one thing we don't have is destination organizations. As much as we like to pretend we've got great stakeholders, it's a really, really um, uh, uh, shallow kind of engagement for the most part, considering what we're talking about here today, isn't it? Yeah, it's really, it's just so concerning, isn't it? Because tourism is so valuable to a to a place and its people and it can be so much more and I just we just don't invest in it appropriately and then the governance of it as you say generally changes every three years so you've got to have these conversations and you have them over and over and over again and you know some people are going to get it and some people aren't and but without that as you say that coalition it's very difficult to move forward and really it, towards the end of my time at the Bay of Plenty that's what I realized is the Bay of Plenty was never going to be successful unless this shift happened much more broadly. You know, we had to become a, a small fish in a much bigger pond and, and not be out there kind of flip-flopping along on, on our own almost. And so I've been really pleased that I've been able to work with Regional Tourism New Zealand on a professional development program. And that was Excellent. all about trying to lift the tide of our of our awesome marketers and managers who work within tourism to have the same mind shift that, mm -hmm. that, that we had and therefore we start to see leadership in action rather than just sort of thought leadership well and I'm, I'm i'm encouraged and excited that you take that thinking on the road because as i said the bay of plenty has um sparked a lot of conversations around the world many many more than you'll ever know you're like a baseball trading card card you know you don't know anybody who's looking at you at a given point in time um and that's a great thing and i'm really encouraged to see all of this starting to move towards um programs and systems because frankly we need that we need that in order for adoption quickly not just because we want to be successful as dmos but back to the sustainability question the other the other sad reality is tick 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 it's, we, we don't have forever to do this yeah right yeah. Yes, and that is my current kind of thing too, is that the urgency isn't there. And so I think we have a, a way of, of taking regenerative tourism and making it implementable mm -hmm. within, mm -hmm. a, within a DMO or an RTO. And it hopefully protects the, the great wisdom that regenerative tourism has come from and the, the, I guess, the people who have really, truly, deeply understood it as a concept, but also moves into this practical sense of how do I actually implement this? What does this look like in practical terms? And I think for me, it's about um, place making, place sharing, um, place keeping are all really important aspects of it. And having a regenerative lens across those things, 
but then a lot of it's about leadership and the type of leader that you need to be but also you need around you and then understanding up front all the shifts your organization is going to need to go through because it you know it fundamentally changed our marketing as well it changed how we put ourselves out in the world to be much more authentic we were telling much more authentic stories the dmo got out of the way actually and we just let the passion of the the resident talk to the passion of the visitor and where that passion meets that's where the transformation happens um it changed how we marketed so we were trying to find like passions to match mm-hmm. the passion of our community to the passion of our visitor and so the channels that we use were entirely different um so yeah I, I couldn't underestimate just how valuable it would have been to me if i'd understood all those shifts up front like hey guys we've got this idea and it's gonna mean we're gonna do all of these things it would have freaked everybody out, but it actually, we did it sort of by osmosis and learning and it would have been helpful to know just how, as you said, just how extremely difficult that was. Well, um, I don't think you'd ever be able to figure out it takes you here, but I will say this, I'm talking to you now that you're back and, and, and congrats on the new family member and everything. It has informed who you are though. I think you said it clearly, clearly to me the other day, this is what you do for the rest of your life. You're not, it's not, Hey, am I going to do this for a while? You are, this is the most important thing to you now. Yeah, and I, um, gosh, I don't profess to be an expert in this, and I always defer, as I said, to my Indigenous um, elders and also to the pioneers of this work, the Bill Reeds and the Anna Pollocks and the Michelle Holidays and the wonderful, wonderful thought leadership that they give, um, and I have had the opportunity to learn from. So I'm just, you know, a lady from the Bay of Plenty in New Zealand who one day thought we need to do better by our place and its people and I can't be part of something that might destroy this place and my the community aren't going to come with us on tourism growth if they feel like it's going to be not managed well and it's going to ultimately cause harm so it just made so much logical sense but now it's something I can't unsee that right. tourism can be such an amazing force for good and can do incredible things. So I just want to be part of that. And if, if what I've kind of learned along the way helps, then awesome. Well, and I, I join you right there and I would, I would underline a second part of that and say tourism has such a capacity to do good that it cannot be allowed not to do it in the crisis of regeneration because tourism like manufacturing, like education, like intelligence, like technology, like spirituality, like anything, it's all going to come to bear on this. Yeah, and the, you know, tourism operates on the very thing that we're needing to protect. Yeah, indeed. Um, it's great. It's so great to have you here. Oh, I always love our conversations, um, David, and it inspires me to keep going. And even though people might look at you like you're a bit strange or they're like, what? Um, it always inspires me. <laughs> I don't know anybody <laughs> looking at you like you're strange. I honestly don't. I think I think you've inspired a lot of people. Um, closing thoughts as you round it out um, from from morning in New Zealand to, to night in Toronto. Just anything you want to share before we go? I think um, the other piece that I haven't touched on is, is and, and we talked about this a little earlier, the, the number and the type 
of stakeholders you need in your army as you try and move forward is completely different. So you need many, many more people and many more types of people. So building that coalition is just constant. And I know from the team at the Bay of Plenty that the amount of time that they're spending on stakeholder engagement is, you know, quadrupled. We've mm-hmm. gone beyond having just sort of me and a partnerships manager trying to do that to it really being a huge part of everyone's roles. <clears throat> and that's where you become really, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> relevant. And you mm-hmm. can join, you're joining the agendas of other important groups within the, ter- the system. And so I would just say that that is a job that's never done. And as we talked about, because politicians tend to change every few years, you know, other governors change every few years, you've got to be constantly trying to make sure that you're, you are connected on this conversation and that people are willing to, to step in and, and to do this thing. And I think that's probably been my biggest lesson as I thought we had more of a coalition than we did at the governance level. Also, we had a very strong community-based initiatives, and so I'm hoping that there's enough life in those that that will continue to drive the direction forward. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense going through a a version of that in a different destination we're working with, which we summed it up last week as, okay, we always nurture the network. This network was nurtured too much in in the people, not the positions, or in the positions and not the people. So... Yeah, I think the hardest challenge we have, I totally concur with you on this one, is we must build those networks, but then we got to constantly nurture them. These are not perpetual motion things. They need a little bit of assistance to maintain their, their to overcome friction, as the saying goes. Yeah, definitely totally. agree. Totally agree with you. Thanks for that. All right. It's great to see you. Um, hopefully, we'll see you in person. I don't think that'll be till the spring, if I've crossed my fingers and hope to fly. Would like to go mountain biking in New Zealand, but we'll see. Oh, please. Yeah, no, definitely do that. And uh, make sure you come and have dinner with the family when you do. We're very close to one of the um, best mountain biking areas in New Zealand, Rotorua. So... I, 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 I know of it well, yes. And, and, and all the great, and all the great riders who came out of there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, listen, it's been great. Thanks. Thanks. Um, we'll touch base again. Um, and we'll, we'll see you hopefully on dry land. Okay. Thanks, David. Have a great day.